0: Welcome to That's a Wrap, episode number 33. Welcome to That's a Wrap, episode number 33. I am Eric Marshall.
1: I am Christopher Gullen.
0: I am Nick Schlegel. And uh, we are...
1: (laughs) We are three guys with PhDs.
0: Who like to talk about film and media. And beer. And beer,
1: beer, which we're drinking right now.
0: We're laughing because this is the first time that we've been in each other's presence to record since the James Bond episode. Right. Which was episode number... I don't know, but it was a long time ago.
2: (laughs)
1: Uh, Oh God, a while ago.
2: I don't know, like last May, I want to say?
1: Something like that.
2: Yeah. I don't know. We're looking at our archives here. There's Jackie Smith. Hello, Jackie. Yeah, it was a long time ago, and we're in uh,
0: we're in my living room in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Uh, this is Eric. And we are drinking my beer. Uh, <laughs> that's the exciting part. Yes, the, um,
2: the, the wonderful Marshall,
0: vintage Marshall. The vintage uh, Marshall Ales. Ales, uh, yes. From
1: yeah. Marshall's Brew Pub.
0: Got a... Um, imperial stout that I brewed for my birthday a year and a half ago. It's been aging, and uh, Chris
2: is drinking a cider I made last fall. Very nice and dry. And yeah, I'd put this stout up against any stout I've ever had. It's, it's that life. good. Well, it is very, very good. Much.
0: It's Good to have you guys in my home. It's good to be together.
2: It's
1: good to be back in Michigan. I'm here for spring break. Uh, so spring break! Spring break! Spring break!
0: break. Spring break, spring break. Sorry. You guys. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a top ten for you guys. Because uh, you know, Rob my friend Rob
2: likes top tens. That's right. And yeah, um we love our top tens and top fives too, and tonight is dedicated to the top ten films of the nineteen nineties.
0: That is correct. The last time we were together, just in case you guys are keeping track, was October of two thousand thirteen. Wow, Whoa. that's a
1: long. that's, that, that's a long
0: time that ago. That was episode number thirteen, the James Bond episode.
1: Jesus. Lucky thirteen, lucky thirteen. geez that's a long time ago.
0: Damn. <laughs> yeah. So good to see you guys.
1: Good um, to be back. Good to be
0: seen. What's new?
1: Well, uh, I'll go first. I'm uh, like I said. I'm back in Michigan uh, for spring break. I did not go to Florida. I came back to see family and friends, which was absolutely a wonderful idea. Uh, we survived the massive snow in New England and are looking very forward to spring. So it's just good to be back and having a great semester, um, great classes, great students and great colleagues
2: and just having a good time. Excellent. You guys?
0: Good.
2: Well, let's see. Um, I'm not on spring break yet. My spring break starts next week. Um, we, are pretty late and, you know, and, and everybody else has had theirs a while ago or right now. Um, I don't know, you know, um, uh, everybody knows it's been listening to podcasts that I finished a book and now I've got something else I have to write. Uh, I'm writing a chapter on, uh, Jess, Fran- the director, Jess Franco's criminal films or crimmies, the sort of West German phenomenon of the, of the late fifties and sixties based almost entirely on the works of Edgar Wallace and his son, Brian Edgar Wallace. And I'm I'm writing about uh, Franco's two crimmies. One is an official crimmie and the other one's sort of crimmie, somewhat in name only. And uh, that's, um, that's about a quarter of the way done. I have to deliver that sometime next month. And it's about it in terms of writing and keeping busy. I've, I'm taking a stab at two things. One is I'm trying to read again. I haven't read a book in uh since 2007 uh i should say about f- work of fiction i came real close to finishing the corrections which was a, b- a book that eric recommended to me that i loved but that ugly demon reared its head the demon of setting the book down and just not picking it back up for some reason and that's been plaguing me since i read a book the last book i wrote was in 2007 so i picked up an old friend uh, pet cemetery the stephen king novel which is one of his darkest works so I don't know why I'm revisiting it, because it's, it's such a, it's such a you know, it's, it's brutal. But it is just fantastic. I haven't read it since I was 17. Um, that's about it. Uh, Eric, oh, you know what? There is one other thing, uh, which I was telling the guys about earlier, which is I'm uh, on the last episode of season three of House of Cards, and my spoiler-free reaction to it would be I was very critical of season two. I, I I like like others I know was kind of uh, miffed with the the ridiculous Machiavellian Rube Goldberg <laughs> contrivances of the plot. S- season three, I don't see any of that. It's it's been a real it's been a real treat. Yeah, b- big time Rube Goldberg. And and uh, season three has been a real treat. Back to what I think makes the show special in the first place. And I was surprised because I thought season three was going to be. You know more of that, and uh, so I highly recommend it to you guys. I'm, I'm sure you're going to watch it, and when you do, I, you know, I'm really happy with it. I'm really impressed. Cool.
0: Yeah, I'll definitely watch it at some point. I'm, I'm I've been skeptical, of course, uh, for the same reason you you were, but I'll I'll get around to that for sure. We're re- rewatching Twin Peaks right now, which is high priority for some reason. <laughs> I love I love that show so much. Oh my gosh, Kyle McLaughlin is so good in that you're in that show. Looking. Yeah, Nick claims. <laughs> For some reason, that I look like Kyle McLaughlin, and every time someone posts a picture to Facebook, the very first comment is Nick going Kyle. <laughs> so you can, you dear listener, can uh, can make your own decision, I guess, if you want. Um, well, we we just took some pictures of us uh, recording, and you can you we'll put them up on thatsarapshow.com dot com or on our Facebook page, which would be a good place to go. facebook.com dot com that's a wrap I think I don't know just search for it you'll find it and um yeah you can you can decide if I look, look like Kyle McLaughlin I do uh share his fondness for black coffee though so see he's doing it right now he's man man anywho um yeah for me not much new man just in the middle of this semester doing the this podcast doing the wet podcast and uh and
1: it's uncanny.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh, my Chris, God. Chris claims it's uncanny. It is,
1: it is uncanny. Yeah. I just brought up a picture on my phone, and I'm just holding right next in the profile. Oh. At, at a beard. At yeah, you've got – yeah. Yeah, if you were well, to shave
2: your beard off. If I were to
0: shave. <laughs> <laughs> I like my coffee. Black as midnight on a moonless night. <laughs> yeah, it's this
1: is, this is getting a little weird now.
2: Well,
0: <laughs> well, you guys will. Uh, I'm sure there will be plenty of pictures of Kyle McLaughlin side by side by by me um, on social media. <laughs> so yeah, but otherwise, I have nothing new to report. I don't think uh, just uh, just chilling, uh, teaching the classes. You know, trying to reach those million words by the end of 2015, and don't even ask me about it because it's not. <laughs> I'm it's, it's, it's not. It's not. I'm not on track yet. So. Um, but, that, yeah, that's about it, I guess. Just uh, living, the, living the life here in southeast Michigan. It's pretty awesome. So we're, we're trying to uh, – we're going to do an experiment, I, I guess. It's an experiment. Um, we want to give you, the listener, an opportunity to, to help us out. Uh, this podcast is a labor of love. We enjoy doing it. We love, we love talking about film and uh and, and it's great but it it takes a lot of time it's hard for us to get together um virtually or otherwise and uh the hosting costs money it, you know we we pay a monthly fee for the hosting for both the website and the uh, and the media and we thought we'd like to give you a chance to support us so we are we've started a patreon campaign i don't know if campaign is even the right word um but if you don't know what patreon is it's like kickstarter in reverse you know, with Kickstarter, you pledge to a project that hasn't been completed, and then once they get enough money, they complete it. It's different. It's With Patreon, it's we're already doing the show, and if you want to pitch in a little bit and show your support and kind of become a patron of the show, uh, you can do that. You can go to patreon.com slash that's a wrap. Or you can just go to the website, that's dot com. We'll put a link up there for you and you can pledge um, a, as as little as a dollar per episode. Um, we release once or twice a month. We're going to try to get on a more regular schedule and um, you can go ahead and uh, pledge as much as you want. And, and in case we somehow release 30 episodes in the same month or something like that, you can put a limit. On how much monthly you're going to give, so you can do like a dollar an episode with a limit of like four dollars or ten dollars an episode or whatever, and we may incorporate rewards um, for different levels of participation. And it's our way of letting you show us uh, support in a, in a more monetary way, and uh, you know help us pay for our hosting costs and things like that. So uh, we hope you we hope you uh, are open to that and uh, and can help us do that.
2: Yeah, we would love it. I think it's a it's a brilliant idea. Having spent some time. Looking over the Patreon website and seeing the types of um, uh, things that are on there that are uh, soliciting very small donations or very large. I mean, like well, who was the example? We looked at Amanda Palmer's. What is she getting? Seventeen thousand? No, twenty twenty-seven thousand dollars per thing. Whatever, whether it's a song or whatever. We're happy to review our yeah. Microphone. Yeah, my mic just broke. And uh, you know, uh, when when you're, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, as I'm sure a lot of you are, so I was like, you know, if you, if you can spare a buck per episode, we're we're thrilled. That's we're game. like that's fantastic. We would love it. And we also know that we don't you don't, you know, listeners aren't aren't always that thrilled with like the the sort of pledge drive things that people often do. And it's like this is not that at all. It's just if you like the show and you'd like to become a patron of it. Um, we'd be eternally grateful, and we will mention
1: you. We will provide goodies of some sort that we are trying to we're figure trying out. out yeah. We're trying to figure those out, but any support uh, is is very appreciated. Because, like 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 Eric said, we this is something we do because cause we love. Or yeah, show topics. You can suggest a show topic. We'll do it. We do it. We, we we do it because we love it. We do it because we're all very close friends. And we love film, and it it, it can get tricky because I live in a different state, and we all have very busy schedules, and we all work. So um, any any support that you can give us is vastly appreciated.
0: Um, so yeah, thank you. Yeah, if you like mm-hmm. the show, if you like the show, we should get into principal photography because these always run long. They do, they do. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Principal photography. Uh, for that's a wrap episode number thirty-three, we are doing our top ten movies of the nineteen nineties. Now, I say this every time we do this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> it, it it fills me with anxiety. I, I, I'm afraid that I've missed something. I always miss something. Every time we do this, I say this every time. Uh one of you says a movie and I'm like, Oh, I wish I had thought of that. Yeah. Uh but that's fine. But you know, I wanna I wanna throw uh, something out there about my own methodology on this because the nineties are special. We did the uh the top ten movies, our favorite ten movies of the twenty first century, uh, about a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. And you can find that on that's rap show dot com. It's uh you'll 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 see it on there. And um And now we're doing the 90s. And I think there's a a crucial difference between the 2000s and the 90s. And I know you guys will probably agree with me. Um, And that is that we're all about the same age. Uh, Nick's the oldest. Chris is the youngest. I'm in the middle. But we were all in college in the 90s. We all kind of became adults in the 90s, right? And so it's kind of a special time in terms of our cinematic experiences or experiences of the movies, right? And uh, so if if you go back to our top films of the millennium in episode 28, um, I think you'll find – I don't know. I, I have a feeling our selections are going to be different because I know for me I had to ask different questions. I had to ask questions of, is this something I saw in the 90s and loved then? Mm-hmm. Is this something I saw later and came to love mm-hmm. And then I had to kind of weed out the movies that I kind of liked in the nineties and never watched again, right you know and, and so I was like, "Are these the best movies of the nineties and And Nick brought this up to me privately the other day It's like, no, it's our favorite movies of the nineties right right and so your you know your your <clears> list will be different than ours, et cetera, et cetera and then it's um it's been hard, you know because I've tried criteria. to yeah, very tough criteria, and I've you know the nineties was the decade where a lot of um current popular directors got their starts and i and i know that we'll probably have representations from a lot of those directors i won't give anything away on my list but you know because we don't know each other's lists like usual Uh, we have good guesses on each other's (laughs) lists because we know each other really well yeah um but you know there's this kind of balance of sentimentality and uh you know kind of critical distance and all that stuff and i don't know would you guys have a different methodology with yours than usual
1: no i think that's 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 pretty much that's pretty much how i approached it i mean like i said i was i was also in i was in high school and college in the 90s -hmm. so i was looking at these um these films kind of in in the same way what did i like then what do i like now what has what has withstood the test of time but also exactly Uh, but also what were what were films that are that touch me with that, that that powerful urge called nostalgia that I can go back to over and over and over again. Yeah. And they may not be a great cinematic work. Uh, they may be, in, other, in pe- certain people's opinions, they may be crap. But I, I look I, – at seriously, yeah. some of them maybe. You. But they're great to me mm-hmm. because I attach certain things to them during this period where I – I mean, I, I came of age yeah. during, uh, during the 90s.
2: I you know I was I guess I was already of age I was already uh, 20 when the when the 90s rolled around and 30 when they finished so that was the my entire 20s was spent in that decade so yeah I mean it was um and it was a time when I was um re- my eyes were opening up to a lot of um a, a lot of cinema that I hadn't watched as a kid and my horizons were expanding and I was drinking in a lot of stuff um, and yet, I, as I look at my list, I realize that it's really just a reflection of me, and not of any type of um, canon that I'm trying to represent. It's just, it's sort of, you know, it's me. You know, it's the recipe of me in the '90s. You know, that's that's a, a
1: really nice way of, of of putting it. So I think as as much as these are going to be similar to us, because I think we have at times similar, at times very you know different tastes. Um, they are going to be very individual and personalized.
2: And I think we all came up with, you know, when we're done, we'll, we'll read off our sort of honorable mentions. And I think we all have a bit more than we normally do, you know, just because making 10 was a really hard thing to do. Oh, me too.
1: Me too. Trying to come up, trying to come up with 10.
2: Yeah. So,
0: um, you know, as far as the order goes, I, you know, my, my eight could be three, you know, I mean, I, it's don't, don't get mad at me because you think I liked one better than the other. I want to, I want to do one more disclaimer before I start. Um on my my six through ten is that there's a particular movie that I have not seen that I should have seen and I think knowing what I know about it and the director, it would it might be in my top ten. I'm not gonna tell you what it is. If it's in one of your lists, I will say, Oh, that's some movie i was talking about at the beginning and if you guys don't mention it i'll take that secret to my grave and i'll just watch it someday i'll never admit to you that i hadn't seen it when we did this so and i'll edit this out so anyway um that so like bullshit to yeah me so wow. okay so anyway um my number 10 is uh being john Melkovich. being john Melkovich opened my eyes to to a whole world of weird cinema. And after that, I saw everything Charlie Kaufman wrote. I saw Adaptation and uh, uh, Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind and Synecdoche, New York. Anything he wrote, I would watch. That dude is incredible. He's weird. I loved it. And being John Milkovich, it's it's just – I think it holds up. It's a cinematic masterpiece in a lot of ways. It's so bizarre, so strangely written and well directed and acted. And how they got John Malkovich to do that, I have no idea. <laughs> but that's my number ten. Uh, number nine is Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, I have a love hate with this film, and I, I I went back and forth on whether or not to put it in there. On the one hand, it's one of the most faithful adaptations of the Stoker novel um, in many respects. On the other hand, it completely like destroys the narrative in a lot of ways and turns it into this kind of postmodern romantic kind of I don't know, crap almost. I shouldn't say that, but but the in camera techniques are great. The cinematography is excellent. Costumes are beautiful. Costuming is amazing. I lost one Oscar right. for yeah. that. You know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to do a Dracula episode in a, in a couple episodes. So we'll talk more about that for sure. But that's up there for number nine. Um, I love the music. Oh, gosh, so good. Number eight for me. All oh, right. So I bumped one to an honorable mention uh, is The Matrix. Um, that could go higher, but. I mean, The Matrix is, like, I think it was the science fiction film of the last, you know, last 20 years, really, in my opinion. Um, Number six is um, Husbands and (laughs) Wives, Woody Allen. Um, I can't say Woody Allen is one of my favorite directors and say that's my favorite film without putting it in my top 10 of the 90s, although I didn't see it in the 90s. Uh, I saw it in the 2000s, so I don't have that, what we were talking about earlier, I don't have that emotional attachment from seeing it in the 90s, I saw it well after, because there came a point, you guys know this, I think, but there came a point when I realized I hadn't seen a single Woody Allen film, so I set out to watch all of them, and I watched them all within, like, less than a year, so <laughs> that, was, that was my favorite. Husbands and Wives, oh, I skipped seven, Um, that was number six, and number seven was uh, Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven. Oh, that yeah.
2: surprises me. That surprises you? I, I had... Have- Eric and I Chris and I can talk about your selections um, well that's a great great group of films yeah. Yeah, and sure. and uh, you're right we know each other so damn well okay. because I knew Husbands and Wives was yeah. going to be on there I figured Woody Allen. I knew The Matrix one. was going to be yeah. on there I didn't know The Matrix was going to be on there I, I knew it was and I and I knew that Stoker's Dracula was going to be on okay. there too I just didn't know The Order now in terms of uh, <laughs> being my John Malkovich and um Unforgiven, uh, I'm not surprised by Malkovich, but Unforgiven surprises me because I know that you enjoy the western, but it's not one of your one of your go to genres. Right, right. But I mean, of course, that is the big anti western
0: of the '90s, though. and that's that's one of the reasons I like it. Yeah, because it takes the whole western trope and turns it on its head in a way, and it's it's. Morgan Freeman is so good in that and Hackman the whole Hackman, Gene Hackman is so good in that you know it's, it's, I really enjoy that film it's yeah. one I can watch William, William over Money and over. right? yeah, yeah. William uh-huh. Money yep, yep. I saw that in the theater yeah.
2: with my friend Travis yeah. we loved it yeah, we
0: were guessing – Chris and I were guessing what Nick's number one is. We think we know, but he had this weird, <laughs> smug look on his face that says that, that it wasn't. But Yeah, it was a good guess, he says. So <coughs> we think we know. And I don't know if you guys have try to guess mine at all, but – I um, tried to guess a little bit of yours privately. I was like, That's I it. wonder what yeah. they're going to do. What do you
2: think of Eric's bottom five?
0: Oh, I
1: think that – I. I uh, Unforgiven and The Matrix did surprise me. The other ones did not.
2: Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I knew me. Husbands and Wives was going to. Yeah, yeah, I had no so question.
0: Yeah. yeah, Nick bought me a poster, and it's up. It's it's in French. I'll, we'll put a, I don't, I don't think we. I don't know if he put a picture on the site or not, but we will. We will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, so good, so good. Uh, Chris, since you're all next right. To
1: me, uh, okay, my bottom five. Let's see here. Um, my number ten is um, Dances with Wolves. Uh, which I saw at the theater I fell in love with. I fell in love with the score. Um, John Barry, the cinematography is uh, gorgeous. I have a particular love uh, in my heart for the plight of the Native American and the heritage of the Native American. So I absolutely adored Dances with Wolves. My number nine, Nick is going to Smirk At. Uh, <laughs> and it is a fantastic film. Probably my favorite, Wes, one of my favorite Wes Anderson mm-hmm. films, and that is Rushmore. I, I have a particular connection with Rushmore because I went to an all-boys private prep school. <laughs> uh, so a lot of the things in that <laughs> film I could very much relate to. Uh, and I, I just I, I adore everything about were, Rushmore. Were <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, no, no. Well, I it. I kind of it. no. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I I love Rushmore for for that reason, and and just the the, the acting is fantastic. Um, the number eight is uh, a league of their own, which oh, I think we I just, just I you just referenced that. I, yeah, I, there's I there's no there's crying there's no in baseball. Uh,
2: yeah.
1: I, I love said, oh, everything about that film. film. <laughs> I love that I love film. everything it's about that movie. That. It's great. Excuse me. It's well cast. Definitely. Great. Uh, great acting. A great story. I love, love, love baseball, and I love the, the 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 storytelling and the history of it and the fact that at the very end of the film. When they are in the actual Baseball Hall of Fame, you had members of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, original members who are in that scene. Uh, I loved it. I love Gina Davis. I love – I even love Rosie O'Donnell and Madonna. Yeah, I have to and,
2: go on record and say that, yeah, I, I, that's the only thing that bothers me about Was Rosie O'Donnell?
1: Right. Yeah, I, I, I normally think Rosie O'Donnell is putridly annoying, but I thought oh. she was – I, I well, yeah, I'm not a big a fan. Bearing, yeah. A little bit. Um The number seven is Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, and I almost put this one higher, um, but I – this was a film that had a lot of a lot of meaning to me. I love the music. I used to listen to the soundtrack over and over and over and over again. And there was a uh, a goth club that I went to in my uh, younger years here in Detroit called Leland City Club. And they have they everyone knows City Club, and they actually have murals of jack skellington on their on their on their walls when you can actually get enough light to see them I uh, so yeah they it's great uh, you yeah, and and i lo- i had many many wonderful nights and mornings at city club so uh nightmare before christmas is just absolutely uh, a beautiful film for That's me six? that is number seven number six is um eyes wide shut oh which I adore. I love it. I love it. And I'm specifically speaking, though, about the original version as it was originally cut. The yeah. European version, not the one where they digitally put all of the shadows to uh, uh, cover up the fucking. Uh, you know, the the fucking is that, that the fucking is part of the scene. Yeah. It's it's part of the importance of that scene, yeah. and the fact that they that they ruined. I say they ruined. Kubrick's masterpiece by that. I, I, I object to. So I'm specifically referring to the version that you can get on Amazon.co.uk, um, which has everything in it. I love the music. I love the use of the waltz uh, at the very end. Um, the scoring in it was fantastic. The, the the use of the the chant, the kind of the backward chant. I love that. The story is, is the owl the acting is great i'm normally not a Sidney huge pollack. fan of tom cruise mm-hmm. but i loved him in that film and sydney I, I think i love everything that sydney pollack it. does yeah.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, i yeah i like your list that, your list is Thank completely you. different from mine <laughs> which is really interesting that's
1: number that's, that is number six yeah. um We're both
0: gonna comment and that. yeah i i don't have much of a comment i'm gonna um before i give the mic back to nick i want you to hear this that's me opening a oh shit <laughs>
1: that's that's eric opening and then running to the kitchen because little, yeah, overflowing Overflowing. right
2: right that is his um let me tell you what i no you don't know
0: what it is oh i thought
1: it was your stout no, it's oh not. it's not the stout
0: order? it's a um it's, it's a IPA barrel-aged porter in quotes. Oh. It's I soaked it in oak chips that had been or steeped it in oak chips that were soaked in New Holland beer barrel whiskey. Mm-hmm. So Ooh. the New Holland, New Holland, Michigan has a distillery and, and a brewery. They, it's I know it's over carbonated, it, obviously. Um, shucks, this is the first time I've tried this. They they steep the whiskey in their beer barrels. So I took that whiskey, steeped the oak chips in it, and steeped the beer in that. So it's oh beer barrel yeah, aged, that, whiskey aged barrel. That. So <laughs> <laughs> So that's all. Nick. Um,
2: yeah, no no real surprises in that list. I have to say that uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Eyes Wide Shut too. I, I mean it's I don't I yeah. think it's I think it's fair to say that like nobody knew it was going to be Kubrick's last film. And um, so there was, I think, widespread disappointment that this, that this, the, he chose to adapt this novel that would be his final film. Um, but I think there's so much there, frankly. And I love that. I really love that movie. And it's, it's a pity it gets a, a bum rap. I think, you know, the, the mainstream audiences didn't appreciate it. Um, they couldn't and it, get it. It, it. They didn't they get it. You know, it. I'm, you know, I, I think there was, yeah, I mean, it's. It's it certainly has some art house uh, sensibilities to it. It's a dense book. Um and uh god what what, what remember that one note trailer Bong, bong, bong. that's sort of like speeding up as it Cruise's wa- I, I like think that. it's it's great Kubrick. Um and Failure. I th- I the the Nightmare Before Christmas I totally expected uh, Dances with Wolves uh not a surprise either. A league of their own, you know. You know so, me so yeah, well. I know you so well. No 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 real surprised. surprises there. No. That's I don't
1: think you're gonna have any. I think there's gonna be a lot of, I don't think there's really gonna be a lot of surprises for this uh, for my list. Um, like I said, because you guys just know me very very well. Yeah. So Nick.
2: Okay. So my number ten is Living in Oblivion. Um, Ooh, Tom, Tom DeSillo. Tom, yeah, Tom DeSillo's uh, Living in Oblivion. Um, sure. Cider. Or? Which is a film. Surprise me. That I saw uh, in the late '90s, um, a few years after it was made. My friend Scott had had said, We were walking down the aisle in Video Max or Blockbuster, and it's got that great cover, you know, the, the VHS cover. And he said, Oh, have you seen this? I said, No. Uh, well, Steve Buscemi, this looks interesting. And, and, and he's like, Oh, yeah, man. it's." Uh, and I was, you know, um, young, I was working in production at the time or uh, uh, the idea that i wanted to be a director or work in the production aspect of film and and he told me oh it's a self-reflexive film it's all about filmmaking and of course this was during the real sort of new new hollywood independent movement of the 1990s uh, sort of birth of sundance and uh the rise of people like Kevin Smith and Robert Rodriguez. And so this fit right into that. And uh, it's a film that I use, and I think we all do, in our Intro to Film courses because it's so it's such a great op- uh, opening up of the world of film to students. So Living in Oblivion is my number 10. My number 9 is, uh, oddly enough, another film that I screen frequently in Intro to Film, and that is... Uh, it's a really uh, kind of hardcore, depressing film called *The Simple Plan*. Uh, oh yeah, oh, man! Uh, Sam Raimi's *The <laughs> Simple Plan* with Billy Bob Thornton, Bill Paxton, and Bridget Fonda, based on the the novel. And I mean, that is that that's one that yeah. When students watch that one, they're they're pretty catatonic afterwards because it's kind of a it's kind of a hate letter in many ways to like the human race. It's it's really kind of a very pessimistic film about our nature and what we're capable of. And uh it's a it's a masterpiece. So I mean it really is. When I say masterpiece, I mean that is it's it's a real masterpiece. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend The Simple Plan. My number 8 is um is Scream, Wes Craven's Scream from 1996, <laughs> which was a a film that sort of revitalized the the horror franchise. I mean, horror had never really gone away historically. as, a, as Its popularity as a genre never really waned um, until, well, a little bit in the 50s, but until really that sort of stagnancy period of the late 80s, early 90s, when Freddy and Mike Myers and Jason and Leatherface had all been commodified by Madison Avenue to the point where they're on lunchboxes, T-shirts, license plates, they're just not scary anymore. I mean, it's just uh, genre burnout. But along comes Scream, which was such a clever, Funny. incredibly well-written Andrew Kevin Walker and beautifully directed by the master himself, Wes Craven, uh, film, which gave us a great franchise. So Scream, Scream is, uh, it, you know, it, I see it being actually on the top 10 of, uh, of like when you argue about the, the, not just our favorites, but Scream probably because of what it did to a genre it it could it I could see it going on. Uh, That's uh, a good point. You know, a it good. really revitalized the <laughs> genre. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that either. Um, and that brings us to uh, number seven. <laughs> Seven's one of my all time. Um, how should I put this? It's it's uh, it's like it's, I'm trying to think of like the right phrase. It's kind of like uh, doing a whip it. You know, I just it just it just. <laughs> It just—I put it on, and it—and it—and it like it makes me happy. Okay. I smile, and that's Kingpin. You know, the oh, Fairley yeah. Brothers Kingpin. Oh, yeah, yeah. I for me Kingpin is actually—it's my favorite comedy of the entire decade of the '90s, and I think Woody Harrelson <laughs> is just absolute genius in that. As is Randy Quaid, so and I mean, it is just such a fun yeah. film. Kingpin is. I mean, I want to watch it right now. The minute I start, <laughs> the minute I start talking about it, I just you know th- that cast is so deep. Bill Murray, uh, and, and of course Vanessa. I mean, it's just it's fantastic. Um, Kingpins, my number seven, and my number six is kissing cousin to Eric's husband and wives, and that is what is my favorite Woody Allen film from the nineties. Well, don't tell us.
0: Um, it's not deconstructing Harry, I don't think. What would it be? Oh, <laughs> yours is um. Not match point,
2: but I'm getting close. Um, no, those are 2000s.
0: 2000s. Yeah, no. It, um,
2: it's my number six.
0: Cassandra's Dream? Is that
2: 2000? What is your favorite? I know what this what is. What is it? Mighty Aphrodite. I
0: was in the right genre of Woody Allen. Right? <laughs> what is that Silly like, goofball. If you, know, you look that, at it, the bishop not, is fucking him in the air. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> 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 the, the, the clock on the wall and all the cacti penis everywhere <laughs> um, Mighty Aphrodite is a film that people either love and get or kind of like scratch their head at um, we obviously fall into the, the former we love and get it I think Maddie Aphrodite is great and like Mira Savino is just I mean that guy just writes more Oscars for women you know they just they love his parts they he writes for their sensibilities in mind They 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 want to work with them it's oh just, gosh. Mighty Aphrodite is also kind of like another whippet for me. It just makes me smile. Right. Just just watching the interaction between Woody and Mira, that whole film, is so good. So good. <laughs> oh, oh, no, hey. Now oh, okay, now. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay, no. Okay, leave. Now. You have to go. Now. You know, it's just like Mickey Mouse the whole film. You know? great yeah, the Greek chorus, like, yeah. yeah. Like
1: her voice in that movie. Oh, hey, Lenny, like, Lenny, Lenny. <laughs> Yeah it's, yeah, it's great. It's- oh, you have to go now. No, 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 no. I don't want to do it. Oh my god, it's wonderful.
2: And Judy, come. The
1: chemistry is so. I mean, you wouldn't think that Mira Sorvino and, and Woody Allen would have yeah. this great chemistry, but they do. It it's works. Judy, come. Yeah. And it's it's. Oh, from the film called the Enchanted Pussy. Have you seen that? John, my lips
2: right? nice.
1: You do a great Woody Allen, yeah, yeah, Nick. You really do yeah. a
0: great. Nick does good impressions. <laughs> So That's a bit of a surprise for me, um, I, uh, because I hadn't even thought about Scream. Um, otherwise, no, well, no, I knew Woody Allen would be on there. I didn't know which one, you know. Uh, I thought maybe deconstructing Harry, which was the '90s as well, which is a runner-up for me for Woody Allen for sure. Maybe a plan. But, That's a runner-up. Plan. Oh yeah, simple plan. I guess like, in retrospect is not at all yeah. a surprise, but I didn't predict it. If that makes sense. But then you're right about Scream for sure. That's great. Good, good. So those are bottom fives. We have five to go. Um and these will will take a little, you know, more time on each. Um probably. I mean maybe not. Yeah, we'll do a round robin. Who should start? You All right, I'll yeah, start five and then we'll rotate. Um <laughs> what is my number five? Let's uh rustle the old paper. Uh take a drink of this oh, delicious porter. Yes. Oh
2: yeah. Oh.
0: Okay. If I do say so myself. Mm-hmm. My number five is what I consider to be the greatest comedy of the '90s, and it's also a bowl. It's also a bowling movie. Oh, I know. What <laughs> yeah, of course, is. you know, know what it is. What it is. Yeah. The Big Lebowski. <laughs> I love the Big Lebowski. <laughs> I watch it on at least a quarterly basis, <laughs> if not long, if not more often. I just watched it maybe. I don't know, maybe a month ago. Maybe um, it, the the writing. It's it's a neo noir slash Almost musical, with a like, total goofball protagonist with, of Jeff Bridges, and the problem with Jeff, there's a problem with Jeff Bridges and like and these kind of stoner roles now. Like for example, it's hard to hear Jeff Bridges now without hearing the dude. The right. dude And it's also hard. I, I saw Inherent Vice a couple months ago, and uh, it was hard to watch that without thinking of Joaquin Phoenix trying to do the dude once in a while. And I heard someone ask uh, Paul Thomas Anderson about that. And he was like, well, I mean, of course you're aware of the dude at some level. And you just kind of have to forget about it. You can't try or not try. It's just, you know. But, you know, it's like this nice Buddhist parable in a certain way. You know, Uh, uh, Julianne Moore is incredible in it. Mm -hmm. Um John Goodman really steals the show, you know. Steve Buscemi is Steve great. great. It's just the cast is great, the acting is great, the direction is good. It, it there's not a dull moment, every scene is good, you know. Um, and it's just i just love it so much and you know it's hard because of course i was going to pick a coen brothers movie from the 90s right and right. i think fargo would probably be the the most obvious and fargo was a game changer in terms of neil noir and, and in terms of the coen brothers but to me you you say hey let's watch a coen brothers movie i'm putting in the big lebowski. big lebowski got it right there <laughs> <laughs> No, that's a that's a great choice. Did you know that they have Lebowski fests? Oh, yeah, all yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's one big one in uh, either Kentucky or Tennessee, I think. But they Tennessee, have them all over the place. Yeah, in Tennessee.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. there's a, a friend of mine who goes <laughs> to conferences and he studies Lebowski and he goes to Lebowski fest yeah.
0: all 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 the time. I had a student who went to that. Good. Shout out to Chris, uh, my former student. <laughs> Hope that doesn't violate FERPA. <laughs> but uh, yeah. all right, so mine. I'm, I'm,
2: I I wanted to reply. Oh, go! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go for it. um, I just want to. I think we all give feedback on our choices, and I'm a huge fan of that film. When, yeah, when when the Corn Brothers (sighs) sort of like sync with me, I'm the (laughs) I'm the the biggest fan, Mm -hmm. and and that was one that my friend. Andy Greenstreet and I saw in the theater when it came out, and we walked out of there just, you know, we loved it so much. I was on a big noir kick at that time. I was dedicated to reading as much film noir as I possibly could. So to see the sort of Chandler esque, you know, yeah. uh, uh, it is Chandler, very Chandler. So it's, very all, it's all Los Angeles, good, it's all it's Raymond or, it's Chandler. It's all that's be- a very good of sort of Red Wing yeah. type stuff, and right, very Chandler esque, um, but but through the skewed lens of the Coen brothers, yeah. um. It just and and Jeff Bridges. I mean, I, it's it it's not in my top ten, but I tell you, it's it's it. But it is yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. 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 All right, Chris. Oh uh, no, I was going to say I, I, I thoroughly agree.
0: What's your five? Uh, All <laughs> right, I my I know
1: Wow, my number five is a complete downer compared to uh-huh. Big Lebowski. It takes a completely different t- tone. Um, it attempts to use comedy to shelter the horrors of. Uh, atrocity is it Schindler's List and no. garishness humor and, and List. <clears throat> no no it's the
0: director's initials are you got it yeah. wait 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 it's, hold on let me see here
1: it's uh, I'll give you an, a hint it's not an American film
0: I don't. I don't know. I'll
1: give you a hint. When he won the Oscar for this film, he jumped up on. He was so excited that he won the Oscar. He jumped up on the chairs of the theater and and just and scream and and hugged people and kissed people. He was so excited. I don't know what it is. He used to. He, he was going to study to be a priest. He's one of my. He's one of my favorite Italian actors. And that is Roberto Benini's La Vita è e Bella, oh. or Life is Beautiful, oh, uh, which okay. I saw. Which I saw in the theater. Uh, and that film is one of the few films ever that <laughs> actually made me cry. I I almost never. as a, ever I almost never cry at I films. Cried every I yeah You're I don't. Person. I I almost cried ne- I almost never <laughs> cry at films.
2: Really? I cry at the, love, the Love Boat. Yeah. The Love Boat. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I I don't. Uh, I I I I am a heartless bastard. I do not cry. Uh, <laughs> They shot old Yeller, oh well, <laughs> that's the brakes, killed the dog, oh well, old Yeller, uh, no, I don't crave Lavita Bella made me ball um the immense and i and I think that I've come to appreciate this film more now that I'm a father, and I think I've referenced on on the the show before that I have a I have a young son and I uh, this film connected with me when I saw it in the theater. It's connected with me again. The score is heart wrenching. Um, the fact that um, Benini is he he used Nicoletta Brasci, who's his wife in the film, and the interplay between Benini's character. Uh, who plays an Italian um, Jew who's in a concentration camp and he's trying to shelter his child from the horrors of what's going on, so he pretends that it's a game and th- and there are moments in that film where it's an emotional roller coaster because there are moments in that film where he's talking to his son and he's mocking the Nazi soldiers and you're laughing and then at the end you know when when he protects his son he, he you know he gives his life for his boy it's yeah. just it's heart wrenching and you have the music and I just I absolutely love La Vitae Bella. I listen to the score very, very regularly. Um and it's it's my fifth best. It's it's and it's and I and I and yeah. Benini has done some wonderful work. Another Johnny Stacchino, which is another so Stakino so funny. And he's so one banana, it's a banana over a banana. Okay, okay I stole the banana. Right, Stakino is so. And if you have not seen Johnny Stakino and you want some just absolutely wonderful physical comedy, check out Johnny Stakino. But Levita e Bella, it's heart wrenching. It's funny, but it is also a masterpiece of modern filmmaking dealing with the Holocaust. So I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Okay.
0: Um, yeah that's a, that's a good one I it was not on my radar but yeah and I haven't seen it in a long time either the, um, yeah time yeah, yeah yeah that's powerful um, that's all I have to say about that
2: yeah I also saw it in the theater there was very few oh. dry eyes that's for sure oh. um, and I loved it as well and loved uh, yeah Benini's work uh, particularly Johnny's uh, Takino which I saw I haven't seen that I think I don't remember if I I think I recorded that off of Cinemax one night because I had been hearing good things about it you know like back in those days I think they st- they do it now with TCM, but back in those days, you used to get your 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 monthly cable guide, the right. big the big guide. It was like magazine size, and I would go through it and circle all the films oh. I wanted to record, you know, on on Cinemax and um, what else we had, we had back in the '90s. I think HBO. And that was about it. Um, so yeah, wonder yeah, that's a great choice. Uh, my five. I'll give you guys a hint. I guess it's uh, all right, all right, all right. It's time right. to get to my number five here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. my number five is dazed and confused. Um, I don't know that Richard Linklater's ever topped that in certain way, in certain respects. You know, I mean, he's matured as a filmmaker, and he gives us um, consistently um, really really impressive works. That just sort of like uh, their their creativity, ingenuity, and his sort of sense of authorship in them continues to grow as he matures. And he's well, he's about fifty or so. Fifty? No, let me see. He was born, I think, in sixty, so he's fifty maybe 55 I guess you'd be maybe up to 55 now but um that one for me was the one that just completely sold you know it was one of those sleeper events it was one of those uh, sleeper cult films that didn't do well at the box office uh reception to it was lukewarm by the critics nobody really saw it it started to make its rounds on, like, college campuses. Everybody was trading off a VHS copy of it, you know, here, watch this, and then get high, basically, and everybody would watch it and adopt it as, the, as their film. And so um, the, there's two things I really love about that film, and the one is the fact that it's so free in its form. You know, it's sort of very European in that sense. Uh, it's sort of non-mainstream, non-classical Hollywood narrative. You've got no real protagonist and no real story there 's no it 's really about character behavior, setting and time uh, and And the other thing I love about that is is its verisimilitude because I was um, you know when I was in elementary school uh, in seventy six when the film takes place, directly across from our elementary school was our high school, so I used to see the film unfold before me you know i used to see the kiss army and i'd see the vans pulling up and all you know the gto the gto judge and everybody in their and their adidas shirts and their i mean i just saw that you know and and in fact i had you know i had friends whose older brothers were giving us rides in their vans and getting us home and so it just it felt so real to me and those you guys who know me know me well know that i'm a nostalgia whore I, i i i live in i live in the past Uh, And so Days and Confused is just like the ultimate film for that for me. Excellent choice. Excellent choice.
0: Yeah, you know, I love Linklater. And I think that set up his – that and Slacker really set up his like ensemble cast feel and his Mm -hmm. ensemble kind of protagonist feel. You know, you flash forward to Boyhood and it's kind of got the same thing. There's kind of a main character that's kind of not at the same time. And, you know, I love Linklater. Days and Confused didn't make it onto my list. Um, but I'm so glad that Linklater and and Days of Confuse is represented. Such a, such a great film. So let's do uh, Chris for number f- four. Four. Uh,
1: okay, my number four is one that's already been mentioned. So uh, don't ya you know that would be my favorite uh, Coen Brothers film? That's kind of funny looking, and that is uh, Fargo. Uh I saw it in your eyes. yeah, When I said but, Fargo earlier. I don't you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't you know? Uh, I love Fargo. I teach it every semester. I love everything about it. I love the acting. I I think the uh the music is great, even the that that haunting score that starts the Carter opening of the Burwell, film. Yeah. Carter Burwell, who also did um oh, he's done several Coen brothers uh, several uh, Coen Barton Fink.
2: Barton Fink, yeah. Uh,
1: and god. he did god. Martin he Fink. Also did Gods and, oh my god. Gods god. And, god. and Monsters. Gods and
2: Monsters is not in my I'll have to mention it later. Right,
1: right. So um Gods and Monsters is another good one. Uh anyway, uh and that oh, that opening scene, which is so funny because they, they had to run out and actually get the that opening scene with a um a couple of camera people during this massive snowstorm. Um I love the desolate landscape of Fargo. I love the uh, it's it's the and I, I, I the one thing I love about Fargo is when I teach it and I tell my students um, that the accent is a character and they think about it. Like, Whoa. They, you know, and, they, and then they, when you think about it, that, the, that accent that comes in so much is is its own character and it gives its own flavor. And the film would not be the film without uh, without the accent. Um, and that of course that wood chipper scene is so I, iconic uh, and everything about the film it's it's funny it's in in many ways very tragic uh, and I and I'm, I'm, I'm a uh, I'm, i am love the Coen brothers they're really in my in my top five when it comes to directors and uh, um, Basemi as well is in my top five of actors. Um he's he's absolutely, absolutely brilliant. So uh, and I think a lot of people when they see the when they hear the Coen Brothers they automatically think Fargo. Yeah. Uh but uh and, and um the series which I've just started watching oh, is very, very, very good. It it it's the spirit of the Cohen of 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 the original film, right? You and it, you have to. The thing that's interesting about Fargo is it it does it it you know it focuses on this kind of North Dakota, um, North Dakota uh, twin cities, and it's so funny because you know being from the Midwest. Uh, which which we you know we we all are when you go to other parts of the country they have certain stereotypes about the Midwest like you know when I I, yeah. I live I live in New England and everyone everyone New England oh you're from the Midwest you're so nice <laughs> you know right and and you are. <laughs> thank you thank you but but it's it's funny because Fargo takes and plays with those Midwestern stereotypes yeah. and it, it's really you know it's it's this dark film that the whole idea of the Midwestern nice the Minnesota nice it's kind of this 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 um, facade that sits upon this um, element of dark human nature. And I, that's another thing that I, I absolutely love. So Fargo is number four for me. Absolutely love it.
2: You know, I have an interesting history with Fargo. Eric will remember that, um, you know, when it first came out, I wasn't the biggest fan. I mean, yeah, I was, I I was lukewarm to Fargo. I didn't dislike it. I had an I had a reaction against the widespread adoration and immediate worship of it. I was like, I don't see it. I don't wow. see it. And no, and I held that. I I maintained that uh, opinion for several years, and then revisited it, um, early two thousands, uh, and um, suddenly just something clicked, and I was like, oh my god, this is a masterpiece. Uh, and yeah, no, I and and I really, I I mean, it probably became my favorite Coen Brothers film. Um, in terms of just everything clicking for them even more so than 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 um lebowski which i like more than fargo but i think Fargo's the better film right. and right. so um it's not in my top 10 but again i'm glad it's represented because i i it's and i have a great history with it because i wasn't i wasn't i was lukewarm to it and then wound up loving it
0: eric yeah i uh i liked it when i first saw it um back when it came out and i've i've watched it several times since then but i haven't seen it in years in many years now um but yeah i mean it's a great film <laughs> you know and again another neo-noir in a way and it but oh, but yeah. set in the north and it's very bright if you think about it you think of that, the, the, all the snow you know it's got a really bright palette palette to it um but yeah it's a, it's a it's a great film it, it really put them on the map um if i if i were to rank have we done it we haven't have we done a Killing brothers episode yet we have not done the Coen Brothers episode no, yet. No, we have should. I? Yeah, okay. I think we. I really well, think we should. When yeah. we do, we'll probably end up ranking them on some level. And yeah. if I were to rank the Coen Brothers films, Fargo would be in the top five. Oh, um, oh right. Yeah. And it might be in the top two. It would probably be in the top two, I, I think. I have to think about that for a minute. No, because the they old man. That's a, that's a tough um, one. Between the yeah, two. in Blood Simple. Um, and Miller's fan Crossing. Fan. I mean, you know, you got to think, you know. Yeah yeah so you know but uh, but Fargo really did put him on the map, and it really okay. did something different, yeah. yeah for sure um Fargo oh brother Art thou and um the Big Lebowski were all made back to back to back in consecutive years, yep. and those are kind of the three movies that they're most known for, i think, yeah. Yeah. you know so uh which is which is kind of interesting so mm-hmm. great, great choice, so um we have the Coen brothers on twice now on 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 record uh so let's go to nick then for
2: okay number four for me is uh here's my preamble walk up to this one i i love this movie so much i was just watching it again the other night i can't get enough of this movie aesthetically it is it should be hanging in the louvre it's so beautiful and that is point break (laughs) yeah i knew that was yeah. point break Catherine bigelow's point break that's is right. such a masterwork it, it it's such a weird film because it seems to exist like most cult films on this this high plane of sophisticated appreciation and this low pain pain of like what is this this horse shit you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, agreed, agreed. yes and and i mean that's ultimately sort of like what is so fantastic about it and um keanu reeves and gary Busey and and patrick swayze and a a really great supporting cast and a great soundtrack and just an incredible script and all lens through catherine bigelow's just phenomenal eye just there's just so much energy and talk about a palette in that film there's this this wonderful sort of like west coast blue palette that runs through it. And anytime I just want to lose myself, I put on the skydiving scene, that like seven-minute skydiving scene. I just – and when they hit the uh, – you know, I, I, I would go on and on and on about Point Break, but I don't have to because oh, the cult cult move <laughs> – because then like you can go to The Onion, go to the AV Club, you can go to any website that writes seriously about the film – and read why there are so many of us that uh I don't want to say defend because I don't want to think I don't think the film needs defense mm-hmm. but I would say that we just we really do worship it as a cult film it is an object of worship I think for us and um I yeah so for me 90s it's like point break equal sign the 90s <laughs> nice yeah I,
0: it's not it's certainly not one of my favorite films um at all um but um not a fan of. I know you're a big fan of Keanu Reeves. I am not. Um, and uh, although The Matrix was in my top ten, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Two Kendo. Oh, yeah, it's true. I have two back to back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, luckily he's not bad enough to ruin a film. But um, no, I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't be so harsh. I shouldn't be so harsh. No, I don't hate Point Break. I saw it when it came out, and I. I never thought about it again until you mentioned it to me a couple of years ago, and I'm like, you, "You, I know you love the film." And I, I, when I was driving around today, uh, going to tutoring and whatnot, I was like, "Okay, Nick's gonna have Point Break on his <laughs> list," and I had a couple others in my mind that I thought you'd have, and that was I won't tell you anyone what they are right now, they but, um, higher, but, but um, yeah, and I figured it might be higher actually because well, I know you, says that I know you love that film, like yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's hard to do. yeah. But you know, in all fairness, um. I should revisit it because it's been, you know, I, w- I saw it in the 90s when I was young and and, and younger, I should say. And, uh, yeah. 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 Catherine Biglow is, uh, I mean, I like her as a director. Uh, so, you know, I should, I should give it a shot. I should get over my of uh, hate and not hate. Hate's not even, it's not even the word. can like, canoe aversion. A I don't know. You know, I mean, he, he, just uh, we, I keep talking about how actors keep doing the same thing over and over. I, he's been, he's, was he Bill or Ted? Bill. Bill. He's been Bill ever since. Hey, dude, that vampire totally sucked my girlfriend's blood, man. You know, like over and over that guy. You know, Rufus. I'm gonna jump out of this plane. Well, Point Break. <laughs> yeah, my, my 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 theory of piano is the Wachowski siblings figured out what to do with him. You 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 show a lot of close-ups of his pretty face, and don't give him more than two lines at a time. Because if you if you remember the Matrix, anytime he had more than two lines at a time, you went, what? Every time, and that's my key. I probably have said this on this podcast before too, but but I will, you know. But Point Break, when I think of it, I think of what you said—the vista, the, the, the blue, the ocean. I think of the atmosphere of it more than I think it's of anything else. Energy. So, the so I should—I'll be open-minded and give it a try.
2: Uh, so yeah. Gary Busey. Oh, I, uh,
1: I will. So I will revisit it only, like I said, only because you recommended it. Chris, how do you feel about Keanu Reeves? Love him. He's great. Wonderful. Best actor in the world. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't like Keanu Reeves. Uh, I don't think he's a very good actor. I think he's overrated. Um, I yeah, I just I don't like him. Fair right. enough.
2: Point Break is not really all about Keanu Reeves. It's, yeah, you know, it's got Patrick Swayze and oh yeah. No. Not-
0: In all fairness, I will give uh, I will give um, Point Break another chance. I'll watch it one of these days. I will again yeah. for sure. Um, my number four uh, is uh, Wong Kar Wai's Chung King Express. Uh, it's got the, it's got Fei Wong, who was just, just this incredible job of, it's a weird movie because it's, it's in two pieces, two halves, more or less. Um, have you guys seen it? Do you guys know the film?
1: I know yes. the film. I yeah, haven't okay.
0: seen it. Okay. Uh, I seen it. And, uh, it's, it, I mean, is it, I don't know if it was Wong Kar Wai's best film, even. I mean, In the Mood for Love was in tight, con- yeah, and it was in tight, uh, competition for me for this, because I was also in the 90s, I believe. Oh, so well, I think it's 99, but anyway, it Chungking Express still wins for me, not because it's the better film like we were talking about earlier, but because um it's just so fun to watch you know and you know you get that first part with um you know with the lonely cop who's trying to find love and he finds that drug dealer woman with the blonde wig and it's you know his he's just like so sappy and like the voiceover that that guy has is just so it's so heartfelt and 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 um earnest and you kinda of feel for the guy, you know, running in the rain. Remember that part? And then the second part with Fei Wong with the with the uh California Dream and I've shown it to classes before and like some people love it and some people are like I cannot Ever hear the mamas and the papas again? Because you hear that California. Dream. She's she's like obsessed with California. It's such a fun film. The cinematography is frenetic and crazy. Handheld. It's very brightly colored. It, you know she's just great in it. Um, I think all the supporting actors are really good. It's confusing because it, it really does like one one narrative cuts off and then the other one starts. Really is kind of two movies in a way. Although the more you watch the film, the more you see little uh, cross sections of it. Now he had another film. That's lesser known called Fallen Angels, which is kind of a sequel to Chungking Express. It was the other, it was another. Uh, I think it's two stories if I remember correctly, and I think Wong Kar Wai had originally written them all together as one movie and, and split them up for um, I think financial reasons. But um, but yeah, I, I just it's one of those movies where I I can watch it when I'm in a bad mood and it brings me up. It's fun. It's silly. It's uh, it, it's it's pleasing to the eye for the most part. Um, and I just I just really
2: I really like that film, so it's my number four. I'm a big fan of that movie. I saw it on cable, um, but was probably doing something else at the time, so I really wasn't watching oh, yeah. it all that carefully. <laughs> um but I was working with a friend of mine named Ed, and Ed is the foremost authority I know on Hong Kong and, oh, yeah. and mainland China yeah, cinema. Yeah. yeah, Ed Ed would be great. Yeah. And uh, when it comes to sort of like mainland China as well as Hong Kong cinema, whoa. And I mean that's just one of Ed's sort of many talents. And Ed and I were talking uh, Wong Kar Wai and, and we, we we were talking in the mood for love because we were so utterly blown away by it. Or he was and then was telling me about it. And that's when I said, well, I think – the only thing I've really seen much of would be Chunking Express and I said but I haven't seen it in a while and I was kind of distracted when I was watching it and he's like oh I'll bring in the DVD tomorrow which he did naturally and I watched it and was blown away yeah I mean it's, it's a film that I love too could have easily made it to my top 10 if I was doing Wong Kar Wai it probably would be in the mood but I, I think that's 2000 I don't know we have to double check it's either 99 or 2000 it's a millennial yeah. film
0: I saw in the mood for love in the theater at the Detroit, Detroit <laughs> Film we Theater did. yeah in the costumes and the transitions from time to time are so well done, and I, I do really that. do love in the mood for love, um, yeah, but it's an aching
2: film.
0: but just love it is an aching film. You're absolutely right, but I. Uh, just love watching Chunking Express. So that's my number four. Um, In the Mood for Love was 2000. That's correct. Uh, so that that wouldn't count. And it didn't make my 2000s. So, all right. Chunking Express. So number three. Let's have Nick start number three.
2: My number three has already been mentioned by Chris. Uh, it's Dances with Wolves. Um, Dances with Wolves. So well, I'm a huge Western uh, fanatic and uh, mourned the sort of moratorium. I won't say death, but moratorium of that genre uh in the 80s uh well starting in the 70s and really really kind of all but disappearing in the 80s with only maybe a couple trickling out year by year and so Dances with Wolves was a a, a wonderful reinvention of the west with uh, a lot of accurate historical representation of the Lakota Sioux and a tremendous amount of empathy for the culture of the of the native american which had been you know historically uh, an incredibly misrepresented um Aboriginal race here in north in the americas this was a, an aboriginal race uh and um with no real uh uh pan identity in which conquering nations tended to view them as and so there, along comes a film building off of like the nineteen early 1970s things like um the uh, little big man for example, which started to do some um image restoration and some empathy and sympathy, uh, from the, for the native American point of view, uh, in in the occupation of, of North America. And, um, so when, when we get to the film like dances with wolves, just having that empathy, uh, take front center stage, um, I think just blew the country away. We weren't used to that type of uh, portrayal of the Native American. Usually it was just Anglo actors in makeup and headdresses going, whoa, 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 and, you know, and, and of course in the, 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 you know, the, the, the noble savage and basically the othering of an entire, you know, race. And, and so, uh, the the idea I mean yeah it was just terrible criminal you I know of a race with a rich cr- yeah life. yeah yeah at large yeah I mean it's just criminal so so slight slowly bit by bit with films like well with Glory just just prior to that really uh, really setting yeah. standards with in terms of historical accuracy uh, I mean there's nothing accurate about Dances with Wolves from a narrative standpoint it's a, it's a, it's you know it's based off a novel but the 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 immersion in the Sioux culture. Know getting to know them and 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 getting to know their ways and their traditions and and the way of life you know, um and of course the 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 savagery of the uh, of the buffalo slaughter scene when they're trying you know the buffalo hunt is a big major centerpiece in the film and when you have that scene where we see uh, all the slaughtered buffalo taken just for their hides and you see the 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 tracks of the uh, the wagon leading away that it had been white hunters. I mean, there's really no more greater sin in the eyes of of, an, of a Native American than to slaughter an animal uh, like the buffalo, which was everything to them. That buffalo gave them hides for, for clothing, but meat for all the year, including winter. They would even take the buffalo droppings and petrify them to make... Uh, so that they could make start their fires very quickly because you know how flammable buffalo dung is. So they would petrify it and they would use it to start fires. And then they would take the bones from the buffalo, like the scapula and, and parts of the, their shoulders, and, that, and they would use them as utensils and tools. I mean, there was no part of the animal that was not utilized. I mean, it was, this, was, this was a sacred uh, uh, creature. Uh, and so to see it just slaughtered like that in the film, there's a film where I cry. Uh, So I was just blown away by Dances with Wolves when it came out, and again, the score, John Barry's score, utterly blew me away. It won a lot of Oscars. There was some controversy after the film. A documentary was made by Lakota Sioux talking about how they were not treated very well. Um, in terms of the, their, their bussing them in and out of the scenes and into, into the planes and they were not fed properly and things like that. I remember watching it when it came out. So even the production had some trouble. But in terms of its image representation and restoration, I think, in terms of getting some historical accuracy in there, based upon a long, long history of the myth, the, the, the What's the word I'm looking at? The mythologizing of the Old West through through bogus bullshit frontier journalism and so on and so forth came a long way. I
1: don't think I could say it any more eloquently.
2: I think you nailed it. Very
1: very good.
0: I have some serious reservations about that film. Ah, uh, you get it? Uh, no, it's uh, that's a fine film. Um, <laughs> <that's> my uh, <laughs> my dad, you know, my dad liked that film, and my 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 parents. Never see films. Uh, how I got into film studies is, is a mystery, and I think there there might be some kind of I don't know Freudian thing going. on. I'm not sure what it is exactly, but but we didn't go to movies as kids that often. Um, and when we when we do our 80s. Um, Episode we'll we'll get into this a little bit because I want to do a little psychoanalysis here, um, <laughs> but um, they don't watch movies they they don't they never rented movies very often like they're just not moviegoers. But for some reason my dad really liked Dances with Wolves like that was the one movie through the entire like 90s and like there was a, some tie-in with McDonald's with Dances with Wolves. I don't know if you recall I don't remember exactly what it was and um, I'm sure it wasn't hopefully it wasn't like a Buffalo Burger. Oh yeah, hopefully it wasn't like a Buffalo Burger or something. But um, but uh, they had some tie-in. My dad had the he had the DVD or no, it would have been a VHS tape, I guess. Whatever whatever it was, and he just loved that film. And it was like the one film. I wish you were still around. I could ask him about it. Like, what is it, Dad? What did you like about that of, the, of all the films that he didn't see? Yeah, 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 but like, and it's it's a good film. It's it's a very good film. It's not in my top ten, but it's. Um, but
1: he just suddenly became attached to this. Film. Yeah, and it's I, really and, funny.
0: And There's, to this day,
2: I don't know why. It is a bit of epic psychology too. I mean, right. sometimes we, depending on you know what your tastes are, some if you if you happen to love something, and then you're a give, and you know and and your dad's a photographer, you know, Yeah, yeah. and and those those incredible vistas of and, and great yeah. shots coupled with John Barry's score. And so, if you're a fan of something, and you see a film that's epic about it, right, three three hours, then three Ansel Adams. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. My dad loved Ansel Adams. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. in
0: see. fact, and Stiglitz. Yeah, in, in fact, I remember going to a DIA and seeing the Ansel Adams exhibit, and he would tell me about each photograph, and then I would read the little plaque or listen to the thing, and like what he was saying was. On there, but he wasn't reading it, right. and then he would right. tell me more. So, right. so maybe that's what it was. I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, but yeah, that's a great, that's a great choice. I have a feeling that we're gonna start having some overlap here, some more overlap. Oh, I imagine, I think so. Um, because yeah. I think that there are a lot of films that haven't been mentioned yet that will probably be in a couple of our. So were we doing our 2s well. That, you were that was three for you, and then Chris and I myself do our threes. So, um, my number three is. We'll just keep doing it this way. Uh, my number three is. I'm I'm a little surprised by this. It's Goodfellas. <laughs> no, I'm
1: surprised. Too. I'm
0: really surprised. How'd that get on there? If you look at my, you can't look because it has to be a surprise. If you look at my my honorable my honorable mentions, I don't know. No, Goodfellas. I mean, it has to be on the list. It's on your lists. No, it's not. I love Goodfellas. Goodfellas is a great movie, man. Right? Um, I mean, it's well, this
2: is my revenge what? for Point Break now. <laughs>
0: Oh, really? Oh, I can't wait to hear it. I can't wait to hear it. I mean, Gitfell is. This, oh, I'm surprised. I didn't think I'd get any pushback on this. I figured this would be like a quick, okay, move on sort of thing. So I had to defend it. I'm not going to. Um, you know, I, I, it's. it's Well, I, I mean, Joe Pesci is so incredible in that film. They really made some nice, nice references. <laughs> they did. It did. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: I'm going to. I'm gonna let you guys take over from this on Good because no, I am no, no, I am I am seriously genuinely curious to hear what your reservations are about Goodfellas. And then you can, okay. Yeah, yeah. So let's hear it.
1: Who's first? Nick, go for it. Okay.
2: Um, Goodfellas is a great film. So let's just get What's that let's get that out of the way. It's a taste issue. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was I was burned out of Martin as fucking gangster bullshit by that time, Uh-oh. and it's and it's sort of like I had had enough. Uh, uh, of, of, you know, I mean, I, I just kind of like, for me, it was a genre he couldn't let go. Uh, and we would re- revisit every so often. And then for a little while he got mired in it all Cause I think, you know, when you go to like Goodfellas, well, Mean Streets, clearly, I mean, in the seventies, but like Goodfellas coupled with, um, uh, uh casino, casino and that bad idea of a remake of Cape Fear, although it's not gangster, but it is, uh, yeah. I it, it, yeah. <laughs> but uh, there was just a while where I thought he got stuck in a rut of okay. trying to reinvent the the, and I just got tired of De Niro and Pesci. Like I'd already seen them like work miracles in Raging Bull, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, here we go again with the fucking, you know, you, you know, it just it I, it's a great film, and for me, I think like the real star of the film is is. Um, Um, Ray Liotta Uh, I I think Uh, he's he's gives the more understated in a world of over overstated uh, uh, written and acted roles it's a great film technically it's a marvel Um, you know it's beautifully shot beautifully edited but I was sick of a nation obsessed with the gangster at that point I, I think Coppola had already done it I think uh, Scorsese himself had already sort of done his little treatises on it and it all culminated with this great film Goodfellas and yet for me I think the superior gangster film that came out that very year was Phil Joannou's State of Grace with Robin, Robin Wright Ed Harris wow. and Sean Penn and Gary Oldman about the Irish Mafia in Hell's Kitchen to me that was the superior quote unquote mob film uh, and I think it, st- it stole all the thunder so
1: I would agree. Um, I mean, I love, I love gangster films. I love mafia films. I was a little tired of it, um, especially because of the fact that, um, well, with Scorsese, I and I, I guess I'm saying this in retrospect is I I think that some of his future films. Mm-hmm took the yeah. took the took took it better I, like i i think as far as dealing with exploring the philosophy behind the mafia casino does it far better than goodfellas and I, and I, I i don't get me wrong i love goodfellas i i've actually visited the site of the saint valentine's day maf- massacre i i think the mythology around capone is uh, amazing considering he was never uh con- you know they they got him on tax evasion and they never got him mm-hmm. on on murder um but i think uh, like Nick said, I was a little tired of it and I think that kind of in retrospect looking at Scorsese's other films about um organized crime, gangs of New York, The yeah. Departed, um yeah. Casino, which I think is Casino is actually my favorite Scorsese film. Huh. Inter- yeah, I know. Uh it is. It is. Uh, I think
0: he tackled it better in those films. Oh, okay. Wow. So if I had said casino, we wouldn't be having this discussion. Not- <laughs> not, not, well, all right, you'd be debating with Nick. I would, debating be, with Nick yeah. I would be debating with Nick,
1: yeah. would be all up with you because I, I My adore. door. Alice like, doesn't live here anymore. Uh, so. uh, oh, yeah.
2: Sure, we're, sure really we're,
0: we're really yeah. going back to the beginnings, okay. I really like Gings of New York a lot. And the uh, part. The part was in my my top. It was very very high on my right. list on the top millennium. <laughs> yeah. So um, and I don't mind him doing it over and over again. And um, I agree with you on Cape Fear, but I think so. Your your objection, Nick, is is based on other things he had done in other movies that had come out the same year,
2: on, and more and, of a well, cultural no, and, thing. And burnout with, from Coppola as well. Okay, I think, I think from Coppola. Talent. Yeah, yeah. I just got. Yeah. Marty showed us that he. Marty showed us that he had s- his. As as uh, Jack Black says, you know, I mean, his like his his rocket sauce was so full and so deep, and just (laughs) kept kept just squirting out for so long, and still squirting out. (laughs) That I got tired of the gangster shit, and I and he's done. He's worked in his willingness to work in all sorts of different genres blows me away. Goodfellas is a great film. That was the first thing I said. It's just I I'd rather watch something else from him. Do you uh, do you think? Have you seen it recently? eight or nine years ago probably the last time. I haven't seen it maybe five,
0: six times. I haven't seen it recently either actually Um, but I wonder if we watched it now if we'd have a different appreciation or if if you would like it more and now we like it less maybe. I mean, I don't know. know. But uh, I think about the 90s, I think, I mean, it was 1990 so I'm thinking like that's, you know, that's kind of that's Scorsese right there, you know, in a lot of ways. So for me, it's like, that's Scorsese. And you're like, that's Scorsese, (laughs) right? Like, it's the same thing, but different valence. Ah, That's fair. I'll take that. Chris, is number three?
1: My number three is the only one that features a uh, 10-inch prosthetic penis. Ah. I think you guys know what that is. Of course, that's P.T. Anderson's.
0: Uh, great, great Boogie great. Nights. Uh, That's the great. film I mentioned earlier that I haven't seen that I should have, and would probably be in my top <laughs> ten if I had seen it. I've,
2: seen it? I've never seen
0: Boogie, Boogie Nights? Nights. I own it. I've never <laughs> seen it.
2: <Goodbye.
0: laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was hoping you wouldn't mention wow. it. Take like it to my grave. Oh wow. All right. Three Boogie. In
1: the theater, I think I saw that. Oh, I saw. Uh, I saw that in the theater. I then bought it on wanted, DVD. It's the
0: only PT Anderson film I have not seen. <sighs> Oh my God, I
1: love it is my favorite P.T. Anderson oh, film. It's
0: mine
2: too. There, yeah. there, <laughs> it
0: might be mine too if I ever see it. <laughs> there is no on there, better
1: discussion, examination of the 70s porn industry than uh, Boogie Nights. Um, I've kind of, in my actually, funny enough, in my research, um, some of my research has, because um, I do body studies. Um, has tended towards researching pornography. So, and, yeah, and and Boogie Nights nails it. The performances are great uh f- from from everybody in this film. It's wonderful. The music is great. I I I love Burt Reynolds, I love Mark Wahlberg, I love um uh the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. It it's it's a tender film, it's a brutal film, and I I, I for anybody who is at <laughs> Any curiosity about how the adult industry works um, should look at Boogie Nights because I, I think that Boogie Nights um, nails it. It absolutely nails what the porn industry was like, and I think to a certain extent, what the porn industry was like all the way all the way up till till recently. I mean, the porn industry has changed so dramatically with the internet. It's suffering. Not that that's necessarily – I feel bad for the porn industry because they kind of – they stole it away from the independent adult theaters in the 80s, Nick and I, you you, and and I – and Burlesque before that. So um, I don't necessarily feel bad about that because as long as there are people who are horny, there will always be people who will want to look at porn. But (laughs) the film talks – because it it doesn't just talk about everything that was going on in the San Fernando Valley – um, with respect to porn, it talks about drugs. It talks about excess. It talks about people exploring a new technology. Right? I mean, you know, the, it was it was the VHS that helped bring about the explosion of the pornography industry, and that's when Boogie Nights takes place.
0: And it's a fantastic soundtrack. I'm going to respond before I let Nick respond. I just want to tell you because i I'm, I'm so I have so much anxiety about this. I. On Sunday, I was, uh, we were doing, I was doing something. I was sitting here and I was like doing the list and thinking that we were going to record this on Thursday. Today's Thursday. And I thought, I looked up Boogie Nights. I'm like, I have to watch this before Thursday because A, I think it's, I'm going to like it and it might be in my top 10. And B, if one of these assholes mentions it, I I mean I could not I could not and play along and you guys would not know I could be like oh yeah man yeah porn industry yeah PT Anderson but um like I know a lot about the porn you know if, if listeners can go back to episode 30 and listen to us talk about pornography and I've read a lot about the film I know a lot about the film but for some reason I've never put it in. So I looked it up on Amazon, found it for 2 I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to watch this. two and a half hours. I could not find two and a half hours between Sunday and today to watch it. And I knew, I told you at the beginning of the episode, that one of you was going to do this. And this is why it's not in my top ten. It you it did, Chris. It is a long
1: film. It does take an investment. But it's totally worth it. I just
0: couldn't do it this
2: week. So I'm going to have a, a – fairly lengthy response to this. I'll try to keep it somewhat short, but there were two, two Andersons. Two, you go get yourself that beer and drown your sorrows. I'll tell you what. There were two Andersons that were coming on the scene at that time. One named Paul Thomas and the other named Wes. Schlegel put all his chips on the guy named Paul Thomas and and. St- and curiously watched the career of the other guy who well i you know hey i don't hate wes anderson i don't hate him at all i'm I'm coming around slowly you know but i i do like paul thomas a bit more now i saw that movie it was either two or three times in the theater because i couldn't shake it Uh, there was definitely, I mean, heart eight, you guys know heart eight. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, 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 there's a sort of heart eight pacing to parts of boogie nights where some bad, some really horrible things are happening that like kind of just stuck with me. And of course, again, I'm a kid of the seventies. I was born in 70. So, I mean, that's a decade I know pretty damn well. And, and again, I think just like Linkletter caught 76 beautifully, um, Paul Thomas Anderson does a great job catching the late seventies, uh, and Burt Reynolds gives just one of the finest performances of his career, winning the Golden Globe for that. You know, he's the uh, best yeah, player. he holds the whole; he's the glue that holds the whole thing together. What I want, I I also want to add that I think that let's how should I put this? I want to add that I think one of the greatest things about Boogie Nights is also one of the greatest things about my number two when we get to it. And that's that Boogie Nights isn't really about the porn industry. Boogie Nights is about the familial bonds that are formed by society's outcasts. And that none of these people are really related, but Roller Girl and the Julianne Moore character and Burt Reynolds—I mean, he cares for them as if they're family. They are are family, family. yeah. And uh, Don Cheadle's character and oh, what's the Melora Melora Walters? Look, look it up for me. Would you, Eric? I think I think the actual heart of that movie of Boogie Nights is the relationship between Don Cheadle, who's trying to find his own identity. And Melora Walters, this sort of like platinum blonde porn actress that he's been getting it on with—is it what is it, Melora? What do know? Melora, her name's M E L O R A. I, I can't remember what her. Name her. Yeah, name it's uh, the actress's name. And I think the relationship between Don Cheadle and I, I think it's like again, Melora Walters is I think at the core of that movie, and it's one of the greatest things I think about that film. And and, and I'll be discussing this I think a little bit more in, in my number two film. As well as um, one of my um, honorable mentions, St. Vincent, Melora Walters. Mel- Melora Walters. Yeah, I mean, she's she's. I mean, she's a platinum blonde in the film. You guys can see her there. And so, I think her and Don Cheadle are the core of that film. Um, and, to, and I love the. I love in the at the end. Oh, I can't say it because Dickhead hasn't seen it.
1: Yeah, he can't talk, Come on, Marshall. Don't
0: talk about it. Well, I can
2: but, say. Just watch for the scene with the Beach Boys. What would I do? Okay. I just love the scene where, spoiler alert, where at the end of the film you see her painting pregnant with Cheadle's right. daughter. They've right. left the porn industry. They've opened up the high five yeah, store. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which was his dream. Which was his dream. Yeah. It was his dream to do that. He didn't it's uh
2: yeah it's a masterpiece i'm glad you brought it up so it's brilliant
1: all right eric you can come back it it really is it it it, it, it is a masterpiece i i i like i like that you know well, the, you know what when i said one
0: anderson versus the other i just realize something you guys i i edit these i'm gonna hear that <laughs> when i edit oh, <laughs> well watch it Watch it tomorrow. Oh yeah, watch it and then edit it. There you go. Yeah, I, I have nothing. I have nothing else going on tomorrow except for all the things I have. It's yeah, weird. but I watch it over the weekend. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's okay. I will watch it and then edit. Okay. There you go. There you go. Fuck. Okay. So um, here's the thing. We the way we've been doing it, I should go first for number two. But I'm thinking you should, because you keep referring to your number two. Yeah, go
1: do your number
0: are two. To I'm pointing to Nick, listener, dear, dear listener. So,
2: <laughs> Well, just for continuity, yeah, I, I talked about that that my number two shared something very much in common with Chris's number three, Boogie Nights. And my number two, oh, are you guys going to take a guess?
0: I can't. I, I've been thinking about it. I think
1: it I know what it is. Take a guess. Yeah, I don't know if I'm in the right decade. People versus Larry Flint.
2: No, that's my honorable mentions. Oh. But that when I said that, that bonds of family, bonds family is in my honorable mentions, uh, that's one of them. No, Ed Wood. I
0: knew that was on your
2: list. My number two is Ed Wood, Tim Burton's Ed Wood, which was uh, I consider to be a, a, a true masterpiece. Um, it's it's sort of the least Burton esque of, of, of Tim's films. You know, it's a it's a script that was written by. Uh, oh Scott uh, Alexander and Larry Keszewski or Kaczorowski, I can't remember. And of course, they also wrote. They wrote *People vs. Larry Flint*. They wrote *Man in the Moon*. You know, they wrote. Uh, they're a screenwriting duo that often do quote-unquote biopics uh, because they mix. They do a good job of of taking sort of like fifty percent truth and mixing it with fifty percent bullshit or or let's call it dramatic license. Uh, there's a lot of in in uh, un, like just factual matters are not really one of ed wood's stronger suits it, but it ultimately doesn't matter it's not exactly what the film is about uh it's it's very much about it's it is sort of like i said it's like uh, boogie nights in many ways although it, it predates boogie nights in that it's um it's really just this great sort of auteur approach uh made by an auteur about an auteur uh, and really, when you think about it, Edwards kind of like the poster child for auteur theory. Here is a guy that sort of like uh, was so obsessed with with film uh, that you know during the during the studio era was able to finance and make films about things that he fetishized and obsessed about with the uh, consistent cast and crew all working behind him. And of course, Bela Lugosi, who he was able to get for some films. So it's a, it's a black and white film. It was released by. Um, Disney's adult um, arm of their distribution of their production distribution, which is called Touchstone Pictures, because and uh, they gave they gave Burton free reign on it. They let him shoot in black and white. It's got a, it's got a ter- terrific uh, Burton esque uh, approach. It's wonderfully cast. You've got you got people like Bill Murray in it, and Martin Landau won an Oscar for uh, for best supporting actor in playing Legosi, which of course is a historical irony. Um, you've got his his girlfriend at the time, Lisa Marie, who I've been in love with ever since. Uh, playing Vampira, um, you've got uh, Jessica, not Jessica. Um, what's her face? Uh, Sex and S- 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 the City. Uh, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker um, playing Dolores Fuller, and and so on and so forth. I mean, it's got this wonderful ensemble cast. Uh, George the Animal Steel playing Tor Johnson. Um, it's it's you know Patricia Arquette. Uh, of course, Johnny Depp in the lead role. It's just this phenomenal film. Great Danny Elfman score. Uh, it's Ed Wood's. A, is a, I mean, I'm just gushing over it because, and it's one I show uh, religiously every semester when we cover the acting unit. You know, uh, and if you haven't seen it, you know you've got to watch uh, Ed Wood. I think it's Burton's finest hour, frankly.
0: It's a. It's a great. Chris, sorry. No, I'm just gonna
1: say it's a. It's a. It's a phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal choice. I'm not at all surprised, though.
0: Not at all surprised. Eric, did you comment? Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm not surprised either. Um, it's it's the it's the outro to our our show, <laughs> you know. And and Nick chose that you know, every. Yeah, the image on the web on the website as of March of 2015 is from the beginning of this podcast till now. It's the outro to the show every time you listen to the show and it's you know and Nick chose that and it's also the image so not a, not a surprise. <laughs> and it's a great film. I mean it's there's nothing wrong with that film. It's um it's fantastic. I wish I could argue with you about it but um so that was your number 2, right? Okay. So I guess I'll do my number two. Go for it. That's um, my number two is by a little known director named Quentin Tarantino, um, Uh-oh. and it was you know there there was a it was kind of a toss up and I, and you know the toss ups between obviously yeah. uh, and I chose Pulp Fiction because it was the first Tarantino I saw I saw it at the Terrace Dollar Show on Plymouth Road in uh, Livonia. Um, and I had no idea what I was going to see and I was like, What the fuck is this? And um That's Yeah, it's how we all felt It's how everybody felt with Pulp Fiction. Um one might argue that Reservoir Dogs is better and should be on the list. I don't care. I love Reservoir Dogs. It's great. I'm not putting them both on the list, okay? So shut up. But Pulp Fiction, I just watched it again, I don't know, maybe about six months ago. It holds up, man. It holds up really it well. It holds up really well. You know, and um And Tarantino, I mean, he's. We we were discussing this before we started recording. Um, He, you know, he had a dip there, I think we all agree. Maybe around Jackie Brown through Death Proof and Kill Bill. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been seeing Tarantino feels out of films out of obligation hoping to recapture something and then I think inglorious bastards and Django have have been a, a new ascendancy for, for for Quentin Tarantino but who cares we're talking about the 90s man I mean the 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 nonlinear narrative uh the return of John Givolta you know Bruce Willis in that film you know people that you don't really expect to see you know the cheeseburger stuff and the thing in the you know with the Bible I mean all that it's just it's it's an amazing film and it really it holds up, and it it really is kind of uh, it's it's just a just a fucked up film, you know, in a lot of ways. But so wonderful, it's so good. So, um, so Pulp Fiction is my number two for sure because I because I I distinctly remember seeing it in the theater, and I distinctly remember how I felt about it. And twenty one years later, I can still watch it and go. This is a good film. <laughs> you know? Brilliant. This is a good film. This, this is this is a film I will watch again and again. So it's Pulp Fiction, unapologetically, my number two. Uh no, I I,
1: I couldn't agree more. My number two I'm going to lead in with a song that is Forever,
2: you want to, hold on. Do you want to Did you want to respond, oh, sure, Nick? Go, yeah. go, go for it, Nick. I would agree. I would put. I think that that Pulp Fiction has to be in the top ten of any list of the 1990s. I myself have lessened of love of it over the years. I don't think it. I don't actually think it holds up quite as well. we had many conversations about that. Yeah, um, yeah, it, yeah. And uh, I mean, I watched it twice in the last five years, and just to make sure that I thought that I that it might have been slipping a little bit. And we've had we've talked about this in 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 recent years of what does it even mean to hold up that's not an un, that's really not even a fair thing to say right the film is the film it was made when it was made um, we've we've argued with other people but we have consensus about that we've argued with other people uh, because i mean they're, you're just throwing context out the window when you say that i mean like you don't put the the stanley steamer in competition with the ferrari right i mean the, <laughs> they're, they're fine automobiles different eras um, however that being said um there's no doubt it has to be it's one of the revolutionary films it's it's one of those films that was an aha moment for cinema it bro- 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 breathed a new new life and new voice new talent into the system it, a new auteur uh, yeah i mean i can't uh, disagree with eric yeah. i just i'm not as in love with it as yeah. i was when i oddly enough i saw it at the exact same place i saw Ed Wood, oh, yeah, Yeah, the Telex uh, at Ten Mile and Telegraph. Telex.
1: Oh, yeah, oh yeah. I saw yeah. many. I saw many. many uh, there, I huh? saw many films there. I'm going to lead into my um, my oh, number two. Is this is this is from my phone. Uh, Steelers wheel. Steelers wheel. Ripped a, off by what's his name? A yeah. a song that. Cheryl Crowe. This is a song that will forever be intrinsically linked with my number two, following in the Quentin Tarantino vein, and that is Reservoir Dogs, which is my favorite Tarantino film. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to put on a, a, a better or worse. I mean, I I I teach. As a matter of fact, whenever I teach 180 degree rule in intro to film, I use the opening scene of Pulp Fiction because it's just so easy. It's just it it nails it because students can relate to it. I love the heist film. I love the way Tarantino did everything, everything but the heist in a heist film. Right, the setup, the aftermath. Yeah the the that that scene with the ear slicing scene um of with Michael Madsen using Stuck in the Middle With You is just it's so brilliant it uses the music beautifully. Um and Mr., uh Mr White is he's so evil. He's so evil. Right? Which which funny enough I don't know if this is an, a lot of people know this story. When they were rid, they were filming that scene, uh, the cop was a lot of the the responses of the cop. A lot of that dialogue was improvised. And as Mister White is going to slice the ear off the cop, the cop yells, he pleads for his life, and he screams, "I have a child at home." And Mister Michael Madsen actually immediately broke character and said, "We have to cut that out because Michael Madsen had a kid, and he he just broke character. He couldn't do it. And I love I I love that that that, that little backstory. They
0: should have got Keanu Reeves. Uh,
1: oh right. Oh yeah, Keanu Reeves. Who wanted to ham it up. Uh, I love
2: the cast. There was there
1: there was. I want a taco. Let's go yeah. get a taco. In fact,
2: Quentin needs <laughs> to stop casting himself in any of his movies. He's he's what <sighs> like, stinks them up.
1: Right, it's right, mm-hmm. right. Oh. You have the Mexican standoff. You have I, I, I just I love Reservoir Dogs. It's a heist. It's a, it, it shows everything the, ba- the all the background. I just I love Reservoir Dogs. I. Sh- teach it i watch it i absolutely adore that film absolutely wonderful
2: yeah i don't love it or adore it you know um i i like reservoir dogs saw it when it came out naturally um and just didn't get caught up in the quentin hype and the sort of hurricane of quentin tarantino until pulp came out right but then, you know, then there was you know questions of authorship that were thrown around, and just how much had he pilfered from other films. There was the famous the famous film threat interview in which he cited everything as an inspiration, but then specifically left out this one film that he sort of completely plagiarized. and and uh, And you know, there's a fine line between homage and plagiarism. And I think the early young Quentin Tarantino, who had such a vast array of cinematic knowledge and taste, uh, was inspired and sort of took the bricolage sort of uh, uh, approach to Frankensteining scripts together. And when you do that in postmodern fashion, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna. There's questions are gonna be thrown at you about how much is your own, how much is is inspiration. Just as Pharrell and What's His Face found out, and uh, Robin Thicke found out, which is a, a case that I personally didn't agree with, actually. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think that, that that they they found they came to the wrong t- uh, decision, uh, um, but uh, and I think ultimately it doesn't matter with Quentin Tarantino. He's proved himself to be uh, a tremendous quote unquote cinema auteur. It elevated the form of dialogue to an art to art, and and uh, no one can really do I think what he does as well as what he does. He's also an egomaniac that drives me nuts at times, particularly in his in his refusal to use composers in his films. Um, that drives me absolutely nuts, but I like Reservoir Dogs. I don't adore it or love it like you do, though. Um,
0: I, 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 I mean, it was it was close, you know. Um, did you which one did you see first, Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction? Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Okay, that's interesting. Um, the dialogue about tipping the waitress is <laughs> great. Yeah, you know what I think of when I think of Reservoir Dogs the most is um how long. He bleeds, just bleeding <laughs> and bleeding, and every time though that pool of blood gets bigger. Gets bigger you know, and bigger and I don't bigger. recall seeing something in a in a movie before that where someone just took so long to die. You know, and that to me was kind of groundbreaking. You know, yeah. to a large extent, it's a brutal. Yeah, it's very brutal. The. um about him casting himself, I agree. Except in Pulp Fiction, because I think he's great in Pulp yeah, Fiction. He's, it's like, he's I know the coffee's like good because I buy the coffee. Yeah, that, yeah no. fucking taste That's it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly right. Um, for a long time, people said I looked like Quentin Tarantino. I used to get that all the time. You look like Quentin Tarantino. It was before I knew who he was, and I was like, "What do you?" T-? I know you'd think Kyle MacLachlan. We're g- we're gonna have like a whole series of like, who does Eric <laughs> look like? Yeah. You know, it'll be like a game. You know, he we can. <laughs> Oh shit! Um, I wouldn't mind going last On number one if you guys don't mind. Okay. Uh, okay. Who wants
2: to go first? He just went, so I guess I'll go. Go for it, Nick. Okay. Okay. So you guys are going to be a little surprised, but there's this film that Shaquille O'Neal did called Shazam. <laughs> and that's your number
0: one.
2: No, <laughs> number one. Shawshank Redemption is my number one. <laughs> <laughs> We <laughs> it. Shazam, Shazam. Do we go, Shazam. I don't even know if that's 1990s or not, but it just felt right. You, I then, you should have played it out. You should have played it, have played it, played it out longer. Like, what? what?
1: What? Shazam? Really?
2: Yeah, Shawshank Redemption is just unbeatable in every respect. <laughs> I guess I, I don't even know if I have to go any further. Did we cover Shawshank in um, our adaptation? Uh, Probably.
0: Brown, I'm sure. Were we you did. on that show? Yeah, yeah, we probably. I think we did, but uh, uh, we talked. we were talking about
2: writing and editing. We, yeah, we were talking. About I'm writing edit- pretty sure. I yeah, I'm pretty sure I brought it up because yeah. I think that Darabont, you know, gave a a clinic on a, on how to how to yeah. adapt, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's the, the classic story is what he optioned the story from Stephen King for a dollar, you know, yeah. uh, because they knew each other and and uh, it's. For those of you who have seen Shawshank Redemption, you're probably in agreement with me. After all, it's, it's consistently in the either number one or number two spot on the IMDb's top 250, back and forth between that and The Godfather. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, you need to see it. That's all I can say. Uh, Shawshank Redemption is, is one of the most beautiful films ever made, and it's, it's, it has power over its, its viewers. It's it's a real masterpiece. I guess, at the risk of repeating myself, the one little story I'll share is that I remember as a as a, a, a teenager, I would go to the library and read Variety because that's how much of a, a nerd I was with with cinema because they subscribed to it, the Bloomfield Public uh, Township Library, and uh, I remember reading like one of the headlines was about new company formed castle rock pictures to adapt stephen king novella from a different seat from different seasons you know i'm like oh my god they're gonna do shawshank they're gonna do rita hayworth and shawshank redemption because that was for me the 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 greatest of the four stories in there hope springs eternal as we all know it turned out to be the body which was stand by me which is also just you know a, a fabulous film wonderfully adapted uh, but we had to wait a bit longer for Shawshank, but it was well worth the wait.
1: I'll let you respond there.
0: Okay, um, I mean it's a good film. <laughs> it's um, impeccable. Comes to mind. It's it's well edited. It's well told. The story moves. It's it's got this nice. Um, uh, it's got a good narrative arc. You know, character development. It's it's a great film. It. Um, I don't have any argument with that at all. You know, I think it's a great film, and I, I think we mentioned this on on as we were recording. But Nick, uh, Chris, and I both guessed in the kitchen earlier that well, of course, Nick's number one is going to be Shawshank, Shawshank rejection. rejection. He was like, "That's a good guess," <laughs> and I'm like, "He only reason the only way it would not be number one is if he changed it just to spite us." So, <laughs> yeah, Shazam to, to Shazam, Shaquille O'Neal.
1: Uh, I cannot disagree with Nick. Because in fact, and, a, and a fact, brr, of, I don't know
2: what yours
1: is. My number one is also Shawshank, yeah. Shawshank oh, is? Redemption. Yeah. What did you think it was? I thought it was gonna be Forrest Gump. No, Forrest Gump is an honorable mention. Oh,
2: okay.
1: Forrest Gump is not. Shawshank Redemption changed me in every. It, it. 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 I rank it up there with cinematic uh, or Citizen Kane yeah. as far as <laughs> a perfect cinematic oh, no. film. No. I think one of the most memorable scenes of the century is that scene when he crawls out of the of the of the shit tube and he 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 just lifts his hands up and you see the rain and i just i i love that film the scores crescendos and swells and i love that quote the quote the quote one of the quotes from a film that has become a credo of my life get busy living or Get, get Busy, busy yeah. Dying, said by Red to Andy. And, you know, I am such a nerd that I use film quotes as credos of my life. And that is it. There's it so is. many great lines in that, so many great lines in that film. To,
2: I'd like to think the the, the last thing that the – it, how's it going I'd like the last. I like to do the last thing that went through the no, board, yeah, is, other, than other, than <laughs> other than that bullet. Other than that bullet. Which is taken directly that's a from the line. novella. <laughs> yeah. Was I and yeah. Dufresne. That's How, that's, I'm that's, and that's, I mean, Stephen King, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of it, is that and we really need to uh, just give a little love to Stephen King here because he's, you know... He's he of conceived of it. Great minds, uh, great literary minds, I think, in the 20th century.
1: Right. So I, I thoroughly agree with Nick. I think he said it far more eloquently than I did, but... Um, Shawshank Redemption is my number wow. 1. I continue
2: to
0: I continue I saw that coming. I saw that coming too. Yeah. yeah. Um Had you had you read the uh have you or had you read the short story? Oh yeah, i yeah. number, number before number you had seen the movie. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, read, I uh I, I had it in still I had it and still haven't read the short story. And I wonder I wonder if that's why it's not in my top 10 because it's not a sweep listeners it's took, not a sweet
1: oh you never took screenwriting with joel silvers did you no he had, a, he had a, well he I, I mean i read it in high school but screenwriting at oh God, uh, wayne state that. university i took screenwriting and when we talked <laughs> about adaptations we read rita hayworth in the shawshank redemption we read the screenplay to the
0: shawshank redemption and then we watched the film yeah no i've Right. Yeah. Um I've only read my first Stephen King in the last what, year or so. Uh Shining in Salem's uh, Lot right? in the last year or so. Like those areas? Oh, they're great. I love yeah. them. Good writing. Um it's it's so it's not a it's not a it's not a um it's not a sweep on number one. Uh my number one is I, I kinda wish I had gone first instead of last now after you guys' glowing review of Shawshank, but um my number one is a film I saw, not knowing much about it, and it's a film that I became borderline obsessed with in the 90s. Do, do you have any... Nick, you might be able to guess. I don't know if Chris will be able to guess.
1: No idea. Obsessed it. with? I have no idea.
0: Fight Club? Oh, oh wait. I, I, I it's got, not Fight I got, Club. I got, That's I got, an I automobile. Oh, oh, Nick it. thinks he knows. What yeah. is it?
2: Dark City. Oh, so close. Oh.
0: So close. I love Dark City. Same director. The Crow. The Crow. Damn. The Crow. Yeah. I was Brand just Lee. about that film. Oh, yeah. The Crow is my favorite film of the 90s. Is it the best film of the 90s? No, but it's my favorite film of the 90s. Um, I mean, yeah, The Crow is number one, and Fight Club's an honorable mention. That's just how it goes. Thought, That's just thought, how it goes. You know? I thought Fight
1: Club would be yeah.
0: would be that. Yeah. Um, I had never read the comics, the, com- the Crow comics. Um, I had never read. I wasn't really much of a comic book guy when I was younger at all. Really I like comic book movies. You know, Batman. Tim uh, Burton's Batman was what, '89, I think. Right, yeah. um, that would be, I'm sure, on some of our lists for the '80s. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, my friend Dan took me to see The Crow in the theater, and I saw it. I think four times in the theater. Bought it on VHS. I just, I was obsessed. To, I saw it four times in the theater. I was obsessed with the movie, and to this day, I, I I'm not sure that I can tell you why exactly. You, I'm uh, there with you. you are with their okay? I yeah, that film and yeah. I mean, part of it's that it's set in Detroit, I guess. Um, the villains in the film are really cartoony and really shallow. And like, if you think about like what's their motivation, it doesn't, I, it, doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. It's all style, you know. And there's something about the Eric Draven character, and I don't and I don't think he even has anything to do. With Brandon Lee dying on set, you know, maybe it does. I don't know, but
1: does it add to the mystique of it? I think it does, yeah.
0: May, maybe, but I don't think that has anything to do with my enjoyment of the film. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I just don't know, you Not know. Enjoying, like, but it's it's um, yeah, it's it's, probably it's the wrong word. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, you know? it's yeah. Really
2: like mythic. He's playing yeah. a character who's killed and then brought back from the dead. Right, and,
0: and he's, he's dead. Died, yeah, yeah. He's I don't. I don't know. I don't know if that has anything to do with what, how I responded to the film. I'm not sure if I knew that when I when I watched the film. To be honest with you, um, I know it now. And when I watch it now, I think about that all the time. You know, um, it's out on Blu-ray now. There's something about it. It's the, it, the the depiction of Detroit is completely inaccurate. Uh, it's shot in North Carolina and I think England and a lot of miniatures. Um, nothing's accurate about it except I guess except for the fact that there is a Devil's Night. We had this thing where people would burn houses down the day before Halloween here that's in Detroit. Great too, great too. Yeah, yeah. So that that's real. That happened there wasn't some mastermind behind it that i know of anyway i don't know there's something about the character of eric draven for the most part and maybe it's maybe it's just the romantic in me you know this idea of you know they were that so soundtrack. in love That's there were, yeah on? actually there's um the, when we, i was coming home to to thinking about recording this there they're like the whole soundtrack is in my mind you know and and um there's a uh, the the a Song from My Life with a Thrill Co-Cult Maybe I'll edit it into this um, um, Later on But uh, that just keeps going through my mind You know in that in that, and there's, It's such a good soundtrack And I think it's just the idea of like He loved her so much He's going to come back from the dead To avenge her You, you know kind of avenge her death There's something I mean obviously very romantic about that I guess um, To the point where When I taught that comic book class That graphic novel class I did not include The Crow
2: oh, why student snicker i didn't
0: want to have my student snicker i didn't want to deal with it i didn't want to <laughs> i didn't want to you know someone told me a long time ago don't teach what you love yeah, you know yeah. and uh and yeah. so i didn't want to do that so but like i i, I gave test to the point where um there is i don't know how much you guys remember the film but when i saw it in the theater there was a scene where eric draven's in his apartment after he's after he's dead and he talks to sarah um The little girl. And they had this big conversation about how he can't be her friend anymore because he's dead and all this other stuff. And then when I saw it later in the Dollar Show, that scene was gone. On DVD, it's gone. On VHS, it's gone. I have not found footage of that i have not found reference to it i have not found it on deleted scenes on the blu-ray
2: i have not found it and i don't know anybody who it's remembers it it's really I creepy do. yeah i remember that room so well yeah and I, I remember their exchanges in that room i'm just trying to think of if i remember that scene so the crow is to chris
1: as boogie nights is oh. to Eric. Oh, you haven't seen it <laughs> i have never well, yeah. seen it
0: i don't know if it's Boogie Nights is probably more prominent.
1: Well, I no, I just I I I never, I never saw it. I remember watching the trailer for it and thinking, okay, all right, I'll try and see it. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm serious. I I never, I've never seen, and I I'm I'm embarrassed that I have a that I have a doctorate in film and I've never seen The Crow, but. And, you know, and, well, especially because I I used to be, I mean, I used to be part of. If I'm reading this correctly, and so forgive me if I'm not reading this correctly, the gothic, gothic. Oh, it's I used well to be. I used to be part uh, of the the gothic group subculture group, yeah. that was part was the
0: of makeup. the. CBS. If you went to City Club, you need to see the Crow.
1: Right. I did. <laughs> I mean, I I for there was a, a a period of my life where, and if you're if you're from Detroit you know city club everyone knows city club there are people in their 50s who know city club used to party it's one of the longest um uh standing clubs in detroit and i i mean i was Part of the fabric there for a very long time. Every Friday and Saturday night, me and my my crew or my group went to city club for many hours, and they closed at four thirty in the morning. And yeah. it was it was just a crazy place, and I loved. It. I lived that lifestyle. That that the gothic rave lifestyle was was what I lived for a long time. And I have very fond memories of it. What I do remember, but uh, amazingly maybe enough, maybe you did see the crow. May, the crow. I, I know, maybe I did. Maybe I was yeah. on on you know on on something, and I and I, uh, I I watched it. But I do not remember seeing the film. So I think I I need to go back and,
2: and see it. You do, yeah. The crow is um, it's it's very funny that we bring this up because uh, just this past Tuesday night in the writing you know writing uh, screenplay writing course. We were talking uh, – the crow came up and uh, one student was telling a, a story about James O'Barr, the, the author of the graphic novel. And um, and I said uh, – and then the subject of uh, – when I say the subject of the crow came up, I related a story about how we went to the midnight showing on the night that it opened. You know, and uh, but we got there late, and we were me and the friends. I was what twenty four, and we had been drinking that night, and we got screwed into sitting in the front row. And when you've been drinking, uh, and you're in the front row, and you're watching a film like The Crow, it was a recipe to just sort of not, nice. like not feel good, you know. Yeah. Um, I'd have so, been Cloverfield. oh boy, that'd be worse <laughs> oh, with Cloverfield. I so we had to sort of sit way up front for The Crow, and that was fine because I wound up going and seeing it uh, at least one or two more times, I think, to mat- matinees because I loved The Crow. I mean, as a comic book nerd growing up, uh, I'd, although I hadn't read the, the graphic novels um, – there weren't. There wasn't a really. They were hard to come by back yeah. then because they did low distribution runs, and yeah. so the the ones that were like the first editions, the first printings of them were expensive yeah. at the comic book. Particularly when the the movie came out, they later did tons of reissue, you know, reprints of them. I I loved that movie. Like you said, it, it the, the Detroit Connection is, is strong and weak at the same time. It's like it's a part of it, and yet it's it's not authentic or anything. But um, I used to get goosebumps when I would see the trailer and hear the uh what's the big the, the song, yeah the STP song big big uh big but we all know the song um to take her home yeah and and just I know the song yeah it's a great movie uh it's 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 the crow what, what more can you say yeah. it's it's uh, uh and and I can relate to Eric's obsession with it because I'm obsessed with so many films that When you said, well, I don't know if I can explain it or or defend my obsession. I mean, I'm obsessed with so many films uh, that I I mean, where I watch them over and over and over and just obsess about them and buy things related to them. And and I think uh,
1: we all do. I think that's part of what what makes us
2: who we are, what we do. We
1: we are obsessed with certain films and we just adore them. And
2: yeah, point break, you know. I'm obsessed with
1: everything right. about that film. And we you know, quote joke, the jokes film. Aside, you know. Right, and we quote them and we buy things and we 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 love the film and I'm, I think that's I what makes it so the, glorious my, that what we One of do. my
2: big obsessions in the 80s was Against All Odds, mm-hmm. which is what uh. led me to out of the past. Yeah, I think we're right. going to
0: talk about yeah. that. We uh I think we have a we you've proposed talking about that at some point. We, yeah. I think we will. Um I mean we don't eat you know, who gets a Ph.D. in film studies? You know, you're going to have to be obsessed with something Absolutely. if you're going to go through, you know, like the three of us have done, you know. Um, I think at this point our honorable mentions should be just mentions. This is right. <laughs> okay? Yeah, um, if that's okay. Do um, you want me to start because the mic's in front of me? Yeah. Okay. Go for it. My honorable mentions are Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> Shawshank Redemption. Fight Club, American Beauty, Before Sunrise, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Oh, man. That almost made it. That almost made it. Oh, and The Truman Show. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, wow. I mean, yeah. All yeah. Is- oh, <laughs> brilliant films. <laughs> Lock, Stock, almost made it up. Just read them again. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's one more. There's one more. Um, uh, That was my tie for number 10. That... I I chose being on John John Malkovich for ten. The, the thing that was tied was the Thin Red Line.
2: Yeah, that's in mine, too. Yeah, Could you read
0: them again? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Shawshank, The Thin Red Line, Fight Club, American Beauty, Before Sunrise, Lock Stock, and Tea Smoking Barrels, and Truman yeah. Show.
2: Such yeah, I mean I would agree with all of them. Yes, they could. I need ah, one of those. Hard movies. to right. <laughs> Uh,
1: I have four.
0: I have uh,
1: Woody Allen's "Everyone Says I Love You." I had to put a music. I had to, a had, to musical. A musical had to put a musical. Had to put a musical. The '90s were not a decade known for the musical, but I had to put a musical in there. And I love that right, film. Yeah. I adore it. <laughs> uh, you're right. This is going long. Fight Club, Pulp Fiction, and Nick's assumption for my number one, Forrest Gump. Gump. Yeah. All right, wonderful films.
2: Okay, so my honorable mentions are Run Lola Run. Um, run, Lola, Run. Yeah, Run, Lola, oh, Run. Yeah, Lola, Rent. Yeah. Lola, Lola, rent. yeah. I well, I have very few international ch- pictures on here. Oh, You've, God. yeah. Um, so, Run, Lola, Run, um, Milos Forman's People vs. Larry Flint, State of Grace, the film I talked about earlier that I felt was superior to Goodfellas, uh, an Irish film that I adore called Hear My Song, Joe Dante's Matinee. Yeah. The, th- the Thin Red Line, Bram Stoker's Dracula, and one of my, cr- I'm addicted to like this film like crack, and my last choice was Detroit Rock City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice, yeah,
1: good good choices.
2: I had forgotten about Run the Little Run.
0: That could have made my top 10 if I had thought of it. Yeah. Right, me too. Good job. Um, yeah, so do I. Um, th- this was, our top 10s or top 5s always go long. They're always long episodes. They're always fun. I will post a list on the uh show notes for this at com, so you guys can uh, peruse them and, and critique them at your at your leisure. Um yeah, and thanks for listening uh to this to this rather long episode. Uh we we love doing these. I know you guys like we we can tell from the numbers of downloads that you like listening to them. Uh we would love to hear you pitch in on our Facebook page or on uh, com. just put a comment and tell us how stupid we were. Um for not including your favorite film because we love hearing that kind of stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah. So for that's a wrap, I'm Eric Marshall. I'm Chris Cullen. And I'm Nick Schlegel. And we are, uh, uh once again, together in the same room uh, for a uh, first time in a long time. I, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy the, uh, potential audio problems we've had. We'll find out when I edit. This was a blast, Um, guys. Yeah, this This was was a blast. This was a lot of fun. So cheers, guys. Uh, We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.